You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. We are the muses, goddesses of the arts, and proclaimers of heroes. Heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Hercules. I'd like to make some sweet music Our with story actually begins long before Hercules, many eons ago. Back when the world was new. The planet Earth was down on its luck And everywhere gigantic brutes called titans ran amok It was a nasty place There was a mess wherever you stepped Where chaos reigned and earthquakes and volcanoes never slept Woo! Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation where we are going the distance in the Disney animated canon, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom. We will go most anywhere to find out how these movies have shaped us and informed our imaginations. Hopefully along the way we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today we're going to dance and kiss and schmooze and carry on about the 35th film in the canon, Hercules, and go home happy. This movie is also the fourth in the Ron Clements and John Musker septiology? Septology? I don't know how you pronounce it. I made that word up, I think. Um, anyway, joining me as always, a guy who has it all. The build, the foot speed. He can jab. He can take a hit. He can keep on coming. But that first slug in her heel of his, it's Michael Farmer. How's it going, Josh? going well i just really wanted to say for schlugener <laughs> i only know that word from mad magazine is it a is it a word that predates mad magazine or do they just make it up as a as a fake swear word and then hercules picks it up from there uh i i you know more than i do i didn't i just only knew it from this movie so i well you I, know um Philoctetes speaks in a lot of jewish yiddish slang so maybe it's a yiddish word yeah maybe it so. certainly sounds like it could be for schlugener for Schlugener, yeah. Definitely. Definitely sounds that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Philoctetes. <laughs> He's a funny guy. It's funny. This is a, this is a funny movie. Funny. Um, like, it, it's genuinely, like, a good good comedy movie, I think. Uh, after, after the last two, which were so serious, especially Hunchback, like, this one is really a return to that kind of madcap style that we saw in Aladdin. This, this like a couple other movies we've seen, feels very Looney Tunes-ish to me in, in places. Clements, Musker, Duo, like, they kind of get the the lighthearted, or, or more lighthearted kind of goofy movies. Like, they they did uh, their first one, where they were in the director's seat, um, along with a couple other people, was uh, uh, Great Mouse Detective, because okay. that was kind of that that one was kind of leaving the old Disney style of having multiple, you know, like it was hard to even name a director on because, like, I think there was four on that one, and you know, like Robin Hood has like six directors or something, you know, like it was kind of like directed scene by scene type title is how they were making them back then. But then the first big one was uh, Mary, or sorry. Uh, Little Mermaid, and then Aladdin, and then uh, this one, and then they're gonna, and then the ones that we'll be doing in the future are, um, Treasure, Treasure Planet, Island, right? Or sorry, Treasure Planet, yes, and uh, Mo, uh, Moana. What is that? Moana. What's the latest? Yeah, Moana. Yeah, and there's one more in there. I'm forgetting that they did. 
I read they only did this because uh, Katzenberg promised them that if they did this, they could do Treasure Planet. Yeah, I think that is the deal. Uh, that's 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 what I heard too. So, hang on, I got to get their other movie in here because it's gonna it's gonna drive me crazy if I forget, or I already did forget, I should say, but if I don't get it in here. Um, oh, The Princess and the Frog. Oh, okay. Should, yeah, I like that movie a lot. Yeah. So. Anyway, not that they can't hit the the little more. It's well, I mean, it, it's like you said, like it's just not, um, it's not Hunchback, it's not Pocahontas, it's it's the it's the it's the going for the broader audience type movies, I guess. Than, it's not. Than, it it doesn't have anything serious to say, the way yes. Pocahontas and Hunchback definitely have something serious to say. Not that there it doesn't have anything to say. But it's, this is not like a statement movie, the way those feel like statement movies. Pocahontas yeah. is trying to make this, you know, bold statement about tolerance or whatever. And Hunchback is, is really clearly an attempt to show the world that Disney can make an artsy film. This is just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it's good. Like, it's well done, but it's, it's light. And that lightness works in the film's favor, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, it's, it's... Yeah, it's just a it's just a fun movie. It's just a fun animated movie. It's it's a perfect kind of uh, uh, Renaissance movie. <laughs> Disney mm-hmm. Renaissance movie fits right in. This is another one I didn't see until I was an adult. Um, this is Victoria's favorite Disney movie, and so she made me watch it when we first started dating many years ago, and then we watched it yesterday. And those are the two times that I've seen Hercules. All right. Well, what did you think? Did you remember? Did you remember anything from in between your viewings? Or I remember how fast and loose they play with the myths, like super fast and loose. Like these have really nothing to do with the mythological characters at all. <laughs> but then again, how are you going to make a movie about Hercules and make it a, a cartoons for kids? Uh, Hercules is the product of Zeus uh, stepping out on his wife and maybe raping Hercules's mother. I'm not sure. Uh, and then the the seven labors of Hercules, which kind of get gestured to here, happen in most tellings of the stories because Hercules goes crazy and kills Megara. <laughs> <laughs> so it wouldn't have made a very good children's cartoon. So I don't I don't fault them. Plus, the myths themselves play with uh, character and with plot all the time. None of them quite as much as this does. But it, it is it is in kind of a line of things that use the myths to do whatever they want to do, and you know, God bless them for it. God's bless them for it. <laughs> yeah, that is actually something that I, I knew we would probably touch on and hit hit here a little bit. Um, I mean, neither of us are classicists, obviously. Um, you've and. <laughs> so like but a little bit of comparison of like oh uh, yeah what's going on here with like how greek is this movie <laughs> <Not>? <laughs> i would say yeah uh, yeah, I, yeah i agree but you know the um, film was banned in greece right oh i did not know that they, wow, they would not let it play there because they felt like it did so much uh so much damage to the myths mm. and i can't say i blame them yeah <laughs> Because it really does. Like the the Hercules here has nothing to do with the with the Hercules and the myths, and the Zeus has less than nothing to do. Like the the right. Zeus here is utterly unrecognizable from the Zeus Zeus and the myths from any of the the Zeuses in the myths. At no point is he ever like a kindly, loving family man. Right. 
Yeah, and so that was kind of what I was like thinking that we might touch on is like wh- who exactly are these people like wh- who are they drawing upon because obviously they're not n- nothing nothing's invented whole cloth you know so like what are the actual inspirations even though they are pulling from like i mean they've they've been given the names of these greek greek myths but what, what's actually going on here and you know obviously on this show we want to look at christian themes and stuff in there as well but um well yeah, they, the, what they do is they christianize the myths um in in a certain way wouldn't you say yeah i would say so you want to say more about that now like like what do you mean by that by christianizing the myths well it, for people who haven't seen the movie for some reason go watch the movie it's an hour and a half long um and probably available for free for you because you probably subscribe to disney plus but whatever i'm gonna spoil it the um hercules um is born a god where in the myths he's born half a god because his father is zeus and his mother is mortal um, and uh, he, he has his divinity kind of stolen from him by Hades, who in the movie is, is essentially the devil. In the Greek myths, Hades is just another god. He's not particularly evil. He's just kind of lonely and sad because he lives down there with all the dead people. Um, and, and he has to earn his divinity back by being the greatest of all heroes. And the way he does that at the end of the movie is by being willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of... They call her Megara. I have always said Megara. I'm going to have a hard time not calling her Megara, so I'm just going to say Megara. He, he ends up sacrificing her, himself for her and saying, Hey, Hades, I'll take her place in this river of the dead. Uh, and, and that allows him to be a god. That doesn't seem to me to be a particularly Greek theme. The Greek gods in particular are not particularly, I'm saying particularly a lot, um, they're, they're not terribly self-sacrificial. Um, that's, not really, that's not really a quality I would ascribe to any of them from my reading. Um, but it is a quality that is heavily associated with Christianity. And so it's not a Christian movie, um, but I think their vision of the gods is syncretic in that way it kind of takes the basics of the greek gods and gives them this kind of mild christian twist wouldn't you say yeah i think that's a great way of saying it (laughs) a mild christian twist i like that um but yeah i think there's a lot of that in um you know like it's it's just one of those things where you know for for better or for worse or you know probably i mean i I don't know for better for worse is the wrong saying there but like i mean we are like like it or not i guess is a better way to say it like it or not we we do kind of you know swim in this like christian influenced world you know um christianity has been been really working its way through um you know particularly our you know our western history and so like yeah, I think the the influences are there, whether you want them to be or not. And then, like reading backwards into history, um, especially if you're not trying to do a super, you know, accurate reading, you're you're gonna put uh, the Christian attributes of God onto whatever other gods you come across, sure. <laughs> you know, and and kind of Christianize them. Like you're gonna turn Zeus more loving and more, you know, um. And you're, yeah, you're going to highlight the self-sacrificial stuff, which, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I, I've i done, you know, close to zero. I read along with the core curriculum through um, the Iliad, and uh, that was my only time reading the Iliad, and really enjoyed it. And um, But, yeah, like, 
The gods yeah, in that are not the gods in this movie, right? The gods in that are not the gods in this movie. And the, so there's a couple things that, that like really jumped out to me, and then I'd be interested to hear what's jumped out at you. And then I think you've you've just completed the Odyssey as well, right? We haven't completed oh. it. We probably have three or four more episodes to record. Okay. We're, we're running later than I hoped. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you just you've just read through it recently. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I I haven't. I, I started and abandoned it, and I'm waiting for the core curriculum now, and the, and that'll that'll push me to, <laughs> to actually listeners. Do it. <laughs> write Josh an email and tell him that you want to hear him on more core curriculum episodes because I'm always trying to get him to come on and he'll never do it. He did that one episode of the yep, Republic. On, yeah, that's right. I've been on one. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you never know. It could happen again. But uh, okay. So anyway, the things that jumped out to me that was really hilarious. So. Um, when Hercules first meets Phil and he's trying to tell him, like, yeah, my dad is Zeus, and Phil, like, just can't believe it. He's like, your dad is a god? <laughs> what? <laughs> and that is, like, um, like every other character in the Iliad is... Right, is, right, yeah. Everybody is, of any note is, is half god. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's everybody, you know? Um, so that was really out of place that he would laugh at that. Especially and Zeus, think, who, who seems to have spent most of his eternal life just going around impregnating various human women <laughs> yeah turning yeah, into animals and impregnating them yeah it's pretty it's pretty bad um but that's and, and i think again that's that's kind of the christian idea right like um jesus is saying he's the son of god and that's unheard of like how could you be the son of god you know versus if if this was actually greek like it wouldn't it wouldn't even register and then the other thing is that uh you know, in the Iliad, they're always like talking about, uh, not always, but Hercules comes up a few times as though like he's already happened, like pre Iliad, you know? Right. But yeah, in they've this got, one, they've got the, the, um, they've got the timeline wrong. Yeah, the timeline's all crazy because he's, you know, he knows about the, uh, first slug in her heel of, uh, <laughs> well, in fact, the <laughs> real Philoctetes, um, we did an episode on Christian Humanist Podcast last season about the real Philoctetes because there's a play by Sophocles. And Philoctetes is this guy who um, who kind of presided over Hercules' funeral and he got Hercules' bow. And uh, Odysseus, they stranded him on an island because he uh, got bitten by a snake, I think. And uh, his, his moans were so terrible that nobody wanted him on their ship. So they just left him. <laughs> On this deserted island, and uh, Odysseus and Achilles' son are, have gone back to try to get the bow of Hercules from um, from Philoctetes. So the Philoctetes here, too, borrows his name because there is a Philoctetes associated with Hercules, or Heracles is the Greek name for him, um, but uh, really has nothing to do with the satyr, the Danny DeVito-voiced satyr uh, that we all know and love from this movie. Mm. Yeah, so I, I didn't know that. So so Hercules wasn't trained by a satyr? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, I, I think it's kind of got it confused with, uh, I think it was Achilles and, and a lot of, of the other kind of semi-divinities, demigods in Greek mythology are trained by a, a centaur called Chiron, um, who actually is one of the few characters in Greek myth to sacrifice himself for the good of somebody else. Um, Updike's novel, The Centaur, uses him as a kind of Christ figure. Anyway, there's, there's all sorts of stuff there. So I, I think, I think they made him a satyr both because it's funny and because Danny DeVito, uh, is a good satyr. Uh, and, and, and also as a kind of nod to Chiron. 
Um, yeah. But I think Chiron is so noble that it would have been very difficult to make him into a uh, into a convincing comedic character. Into a let's be clear what he is. He's an XB for uh, for Mickey from Rocky, the Burgess Meredith character from Rocky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of these yeah. are complaints, by the way. From... Like, like oh, yeah. it, it sounds like I'm tearing the movie apart, and I'm not. Like the the Greek myths would not make a good children's movie. They're just <laughs> they're not for they're not what we would recognize as being for children. Yeah, and it's kind of funny, like what how that even ends up is like something that gets pitched, you know. Um, like yeah, let's let's do Hercules. <laughs> like why? <laughs> like why should we do that? Like whose whose idea was that? But you know, um, well, I if guess... you think about it as a superhero movie, I think it makes more sense. Like they right. they and... want to do a superhero movie. Hercules is really, in point of fact, a superhero. And so that how can we how can we kind of fit this into? Um, well, really, how can we fit this into the Superman archetype, which is probably where they're getting it all, not so much from Christian mythology as just from Superman. How can we fit it into the Superman archetype and, and make it for kids? And, and that's what they did. And, you know, it, it is, I would say, mostly successful. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I um, so I'm glad you mentioned the, both those Superman and Rocky here, because I do you think that, that that is probably more of what, what is being drawn upon than, um, than the actual myths themselves are. Definitely, that's what's being drawn upon more than the myths themselves. But then I think on both of those as well. Uh, well, I don't know. I haven't thought as much about Rocky, but I think with Superman, definitely you you have um, you know some some Christ parallels mm-hmm. um, built in, and yeah, so absolutely. yeah. So even when they're drawing upon that, I mean that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. I guess is like it's just it's everywhere. Like you can't escape it, you know. Um, nor should you want to, probably. But um, not on our show, anyway. Yeah, not on our show. It does make some, for some interesting, uh, I don't know, tensions that, that arise. I guess when you can't escape it, but then uh, the the, the um, whatever, like it's it's not like Hercules. Hercules is definitely not. He's he, he's not superman or christ you know like he's he's this weird thing where he's you know he's he's got this goal of um becoming a god again but you know like the the sacrifice for for the people is really very secondary to that goal you know until it's not right right until it's not which is you know that's his that's his character arc and so that's good but um you know even early on like his you know his first you know, quote unquote mission, I guess. I don't know what you'd call it, you know, um, when pain and panic are, are pretending to be kids, um, stuck in the, in the hydro hole. Um, he's like, you know, yeah, this is great. <laughs> you know, and Meg even calls him on it and is like, oh yeah, you're really tore up about this, huh? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so not really uh, self-sacrificial yet at that point, or even like in it for, you know, the good of, of the people he is rescuing. Right. Although you know the 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 Hercules of myths is really kind of a jerk. Um, he's he's really well known for his hair trigger temper, and like I said, he the the twelve labors. I think I said seven earlier, but it's twelve labors. The twelve labors that he undergoes, um, he undergoes because he's gone nuts and killed his entire family. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, 
you know, so so they, they've really cleaned him up too. He he's not. I, I expected him to be a kind of arrogant prick, but that's not who he is here either. He he's just a. At first, he's an awkward teenager, and then he's a, a basically good natured person who wants to do the right thing. And and again, that's fine. But it's not the it's not the Hercules of the myths. And if you especially go read uh, uh, Euripides' play Heracles, and uh, you'll 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 see a very different side of him. I think that play is about PTSD, frankly. Mm. He's coming back from back from the Twelve Labors in that version of the story, and he he uh, Hera, who hates him because he's his her husband's illegitimate son, sends uh, the goddess. Uh, uh, Isis to to make him crazy and he killed. That's when he kills his whole family. Mm. Um, so, but anyway, it, it, it again, it's a very different person, and and the the arc isn't at all similar to what you would expect, um, given the original myths. Yeah, which you know, if I haven't said it ten times, is not exactly a problem for me. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I, I like what you said that you know we're not. We're not we're not tearing down the movie because of that. It's just it, it is interesting to try and like figure out okay where where is this coming from? <laughs> it's obviously yeah. not coming from the myths. So where is where is this Hercules from? If, if you because have the been... slightest bit of experience with the Greek myths, like even the the most rudimentary experience, uh, the movie will seem very strange to you. Yeah. Were you in well, the Greek myths when you were a kid? Um, I, not really, I think I tried to be once, like, you know, like it seemed like, oh, this would be interesting or cool or whatever, but whatever book I got out of the library, you know, wasn't, wasn't what I was hoping for. I actually, I didn't really get familiar with them, um, until much later in life. And I, it, it was through the Percy Jackson novels. Oh, sure. When I read the Percy Jackson novels, I, I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, cause, um, you know, Percy Jackson, especially the, the first set less so the further he went into the, the tales, but especially like the first five are really just, you know, they're, they're, modern updated retellings of the myths um you know percy jackson basically goes through you know the whole you know like all the you know all the major high points of of the mythology you know i was gonna ask you how um how closely those cleave to the myths themselves yeah and i'm still not the right person to ask because i still have not you know done my homework and gone back and read uh Euclipides or <laughs> whatever you just said there, you know. Euripides. Uh, but Euripides, Euripides is playing with the myths too. <laughs> See, that's the thing about that's the thing about Greek myths. There's not a single source for them, and the various sources we have. So, so just to give an example, um, Sophocles, one playwright, has two plays. Uh, he has six plays or seven plays, but two that are important for what I'm talking about. He has Oedipus the King, where Creon is the good guy. Creon is the brother-in-law of Oedipus, and he's the one who's seeking the truth. Uh, the sequel to that play, or not even really a sequel, it's just another play about the same characters, is called Antigone. And in Antigone, Crayon is the bad guy. So is Crayon good or bad? Well, it doesn't really matter. It's just kind of whatever the particular artist is using at the particular moment, what he what he's using the characters to do. Which is why to to complain that the um, that the movie's not true to the myths is, I, I think, kind of futile because the myths aren't true to themselves. It's just whatever you want to do with them. Uh, although again, none of them go quite as far away from the the center as as this movie does. Yeah, I was super into mythology for a little while in third grade, I think, and I remember it was third grade because our niece 
whose name I won't say, I almost said it, uh, our nine-year-old niece last year when she was in third grade came home very interested in mythology and listened for hours to me and Victoria telling her as many G-rated uh, Greek myths as we could think of. So I, 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 I get why they made this movie because I think there is something about these myths that appeal to children in their kind of simultaneous foreignness and familiarity, just like fairy tales, right? Fairy yeah. tales are all set in this like weird medieval Europe. And yet at the same time, they're, they're so psychologically central. They, they get to the heart of what it is to be a human being in some ways. They, like kids love them and adults love them. And why not? Right. And I think the Greek myths work the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even my, my eldest, who's uh, she just, she just turned 10. Um, you know, when we were watching this one, she's like, who's this, you know, like, who's the Achilles guy that he was talking about? What was his story? Like, what happened with him? You <laughs> right. know? Um, and so, yeah, I do. I, I agree. There is something just deeply appealing in our, you know, in our very makeup somehow. Um, and I, I'm not sure what that is, you know, or I don't, I don't know if you have an idea of what it is about them that, that make them so deeply appealing to us. Well, the, the myths like folklore and fairy tales arise from the people. You know, it's not written by one person. It's not the product of some one mind. Instead, it comes out of the masses. And so it makes sense that we, many of us, not all of us, but many of us would be drawn to that stuff. There's always that one evangelical kid who refuses to learn uh, mythology because it's pagan gods or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, it is a it is a weird thing to, I mean, especially, so like I have, a, you know, a four-year-old and a six-year-old and the four-year-old especially is still like trying to like distinguish reality from non-reality. You know? Aren't like, we all though? Yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, these days especially, right? Um but yeah, it was the six-year-old actually who who asked, and I think because Hades is like so kind of reflective of the way that we, you know, kind of popular popularly think of Satan. Um, you know, she was like, "Is this a Bible movie? Is that Satan?" <laughs> you know, while we were watching, and it's like, "Yeah, no, this is not. You know, this is not one of the stories from the Bible." Um, but yeah, that guy is acting a lot like Satan. <laughs> But yeah, and but I mean that that too, as I think as you mentioned already, you know, is a Christian. It's a Christianization of the of the character. You know, like Hades is not Satan in in the mythology. You know, he's just the god of the underworld or whatever. So right, and he's in in most tellings of the story, he's not one of the more unpleasant gods. Like Poseidon is way worse than Hades. I mean, Hades' big starring role is Persephone, right, where he tricks the woman into spending half the year in um. In, in the underworld with him. Mm-hmm. The I was going to su- suggest to you, if your kids are interested, I just pulled it off my um, off my shelf. The, the, the kind of classic text that goes through all these myths is Edith Hamilton's mythology, Timeless Tales of Gods and Heroes. And, it, you know, it's, it's from the middle of the last century, but I think it's pretty readable. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it gives you the kind of, quote-unquote, standard versions of, of most of the... the the myths that you will have ever heard of and many that you won't have. So yeah. if you're interested in reading more about, um, about mythology, I would, I would say Hamilton, Edith Hamilton's mythology is a great place to go. Great. I love the recommendation. Thanks. 
We should actually talk about this movie at some point, right? Yeah, we should. And, and I mean, I think we've touched on it a little bit, but you're right. Like, we should get off the source material a little bit and, and I, jump in. I will in. say one more thing about the departure from the source materials. One of the labors of Hercules was the cleaning of the Augean stables. Uh, which is a, you know, it's stables. So it's these livestock who are so incredibly healthy that they produce a truly prodigious amount of feces. Uh-huh. And, and uh, Hercules had to clean it. And I really wish they had done that in this movie. I think that would have been... <laughs> <laughs> it's always been my favorite of the latest Hercules. <laughs> yeah. I believe there's a play on that one in uh, in the Percy Jackson books. I don't know if you've read those. I haven't. I, maybe I should look at those. Yeah. The The... The first, the, the original series is, I I think, very funny. Um, they do get a little, um, you know, they're definitely like, turn the page, fight a monster, turn the page, fight a monster. You know, like that's uh-huh. that's that's kind of the. I mean, so so go in expecting that. They're not, they're they too do not have any great message in them. You know, um, but uh, they the the first ones especially are, are very very funny and and good good fun retellings of, of the myths. Um, yeah. So let's, anyway, let's talk about Hercules. Let's, <laughs> um, yeah. Where do you want to, where do you want to start on this one? Let's talk about the animation. Cause I, I think this movie announces itself very quickly as something that is not at all like Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, the, the, the characters are very stylized. They're, they're, they're clearly meant to evoke the, uh, the kind of figure painting on Greek urns. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Looney Tunes. I think they're a combination of that. And, and Hercules himself, as an adult, is clearly based on Michelangelo's David. Mm. Um, but I, I, I think they they do a really good job of setting this off visually from the last oh gosh four or five Disney movies. It's been a long time since we saw something this cartoonish. Yeah, yeah, cartoonish and just really. I don't. It's, yeah, I think stylized is really the right word, you know, um, because definitely like Aladdin was pretty cartoonish in points, you know, um, but they also had a style that they were kind of following, which I guess maybe I mean maybe that's something that these directors are into. It was like finding a, you know, kind of finding a style and going with it. But um, yeah, I really like especially the, you know, the the way that the the design on this movie is with, you know, the, the, the muses being on the, you know, flat against the urn or whatever uh-huh. at the beginning. Um, you know, especially when they go to like that kind of style, which they do several times through the movie. I really like it. Like, I really like that animation style. Very, very flat, but, um, just, I don't know. The, the design, something about the design is very appealing in those, those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that opening sequence does a really good job of ushering you into this world and and showing you what kind of world it's going to be, right? Because you have the the Charleston Heston of all people doing the voiceover and then being corrected by the um, the uh, the muses. So it, it 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 starts off as if it's going to be very serious, and then it becomes clear very quickly that it's not going to be serious. Yeah, which I think also is a fun kind of throwback to uh, Hunchback a little bit mm-hmm. i mean hunchback was not narrated in a serious way at all it was it was narrated by uh you know uh, okay. 
Yeah, Clopet. <laughs> so it wasn't that way at all. But like you could almost imagine, you know, sitting down for this. If you'd not seen anything about this movie and sitting down for the first 15 seconds, thinking, "Oh man, this is gonna be, this is gonna be serious," <laughs> you know, and then and then it all is very not serious very quickly. I have something to tell you, which is that the the part of the muses was originally offered to the Spice Girls. Can you imagine how bad that would have been? Oh my goodness! Thank goodness for scheduling conflicts, right? Yeah, the, the 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 gospel thing they do with the muses is so perfect that I I can't imagine why they would have ever offered it to the Spice Girls. You know, like yeah. of course it needs to be gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, one of the happy accidents of history, I guess. Yeah. There was... Yeah, it's the opposite of the Beatles not being able to play the vultures from the drum club. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Because fortunately they went just be... an entirely different direction. Yeah. Although I think they were already thinking gospel, so I don't know why they decided. Like, like who says, hey, we should do this as gospel music, and somebody says, yeah, we should get the Spice Girls. <laughs> like, who, like, how does that even happen? Like, that doesn't even uh, it makes zero, zero, zero sense. Instead, they but, got a combination of actual gospel singers and um, Broadway people. And, and man, you know, I don't know anything about the five women who play the muses, but uh, that, that those are great performances, just terrific. Yeah. It's uh, it's I think it's what really makes this movie work. Um, I really enjoy the muses. And I really enjoy um, to get back to the animation stuff. Like I really enjoy the playful ways that they insert them throughout the throughout the thing. You know, um, I mean the most notable one is probably uh, during you know don't say I'm in love. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like they're kind of all over the place. But I mean I think throughout the movie they kind of. You know, the way they insert them uh, is really, really fun. I don't know if that's what you meant by the Looney Tunes or what. Like, when you say Looney Tunes, like, what you want to say more about that? Like, what, uh, just, what did you just say? Just that kind of madcap, um, well, cartoonish, I guess, is the other word I would use. It, but it's, mm. it's, it, it, the kind of postmodernism of having the muses interject themselves into I Won't Say I'm in Love, I, I think, also feels like Looney Tunes, but it also feels very true to greek poetry um you know the the iliad and the odyssey both begin with these invocation of the muses the muses are literally like the the line is being blurred between the reality of the story and the person telling the story the muses are the the kind of agent that accomplishes that it's not postmodern because it's you know thousands and thousands of years before anything called modernism would have existed, but it, it has, it, it is a technique that the postmodernists use as well. Sing O Muse. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun, huh? <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, if you, if you read a lot of Greek literature and I have read most of the important Greek texts, just, you know, as, as an amateur, not as a, not as a, not as a professional, um, a lot of what we think of as, as being modern and postmodern is already present in Greek literature. Mm. Yeah, that's so fascinating to me. So, uh, yeah, it's it's because I don't know the way the way I learned it, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and I, I learned it at a very conservative um, 
school, as you know, you know, because um, Michael and I went to college together. But like that was the first I'd ever heard of postmodernism, and it was like this new threat, <laughs> you know, is kind of the way that I learned it. And so it's funny that it's it's been there for you know three thousand years or whatever. Oh sure, yeah, like you said, there's nothing new under the sun. But I think I think they do a great job with the muses, kind of dramatizing that without without really calling attention to it. Um, the 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 muses are intimately involved in our hearing of this story. They're not the ones telling the story, and yet they kind of are the ones telling the story. So mm-hmm. um, you know, for all the all the movies' departures from mythology, I think it got the spirit of the muses very very right. Yeah. Plus, the music is pretty rocking. The music is great. Yeah, the music is really great. Yeah. How do you feel about them using the word gospel truth, though? <laughs> well, right, it's a gag, right? Because it's about a god coming to Earth and all that stuff. I, I guess I could be mad about it. Is it? When, I, you know, I told you—you you had told me that your your daughter asked if this if this was a Bible movie, and I told that to Victoria. And when they when that song came on, Victoria said, "Well, of course she thought it was a Bible movie. They're talking about the gospel." Yeah, a very different kind of gospel, though. Yeah, right? What is the like, good news here? It's not good news for us. I guess it's good news for Hercules. Yeah. It's well, it's it's uh, order out of chaos is the first, you know, the first gospel, you know, because it's along came Zeus. So, I mean, there is again, like, I mean, I know that's pretty standard across. Um, uh, most creation narratives and mythologies, you know, mm-hmm. is the order out of chaos. Um, so it's it's hard to claim that one is particularly Christian. Uh, um, but um, unless you know, it's you know, if Christianity is is true and order did come out of chaos at the beginning, then it makes sense that there'd be echoes of that everywhere, right? That, um, that would be my argument. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, mine as well. So. So yeah, I mean there's 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 some gospel there in the order out of chaos, but then yeah, like beyond that, it's just like I, they they use the term gospel truth to be this is the you know this is the you can believe us, you can trust us, you know you can trust our version of the story. It's the gospel truth, you know it's it's it has nothing to do with good news and everything to do with uh you know it's just a it's. I don't know. Like it's it's tapping the word gospel on there to mean like it's it's as trustworthy as the gospel, I guess. Uh huh. Well, and I, I just think it's a, what kind of what kind of music would need to accompany the story of a of a god re- regaining his godhood? Well, of course it would be gospel music. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> and they, they didn't do anything that sounded even the slightest bit Greek. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that might have made the Greeks angry. Yeah. Well, they were angry enough, I guess. <laughs> or you mean they're angry that their their music did not make it in? Is yeah, that that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although it might have made them angry to have it appropriated as well. So, who yeah. knows? But yeah, no, I like. I really, yeah, I want. I, I did. I didn't want to spend too much time on that idea of gospel truth because I, I really do like the music. I think the music in this movie is fantastic. Yeah, and there's less of it than I remember there being. Yeah, there's no villain song. Um, there's there's basically yeah. four songs, right? There's the gospel truth, there's go the distance, there's zero to hero, and there's I won't say I'm in love. Oh, and a star yeah. is born, so five songs. Yeah. 
And all of them are great. I mean, I yes. won't say I'm in love, I think, is pretty clearly the the standout. Um, but Zero to Hero is fantastic, too. And that is probably the best animated scene in the whole movie. And that's that's the one where they make just dozens and dozens of references to classic Greek mythology, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Zero to Hero is really great. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and that's, it's funny you say dozens and dozens, because I think they do try and get a lot of the 12 labors, the dozen labors, I guess, of, of Hercules in, in that Zero to Hero montage. But not the stables, alas. But not the stables. Ugh, it's too bad. He reroutes a river, by the way. That's how he cleans the stables. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying, yeah. <laughs> I was going to reference Percy Jackson again, but I don't need to go back to that. Um, yeah, I think uh, Zero to Hero, though, is... Zero to Hero is where we also are introduced to this other theme of... He's not just Superman, but he's also Michael Jordan. Uh-huh. He's, right? he's, he's famous. Yeah. Which, um, which would have been their opportunity to go with the he becomes a jerk you know like he really does become jerkules at that point you know like he's got all the fame he's got all the fortune you know he's got the adoring fans and the you know the whatever you know um the product endorsements and all that stuff um but you know he doesn't, and so that's that's kind of interesting. It is interesting. It's not it's not what you would expect them to do. That would be the cliche, and instead they did something different. And I you know I think we should we should praise them for that. Yeah, well it's a little bit though. So it's interesting. Like this movie came out in '97, and earlier this year um, there was a documentary called The Last Dance that came out about the 1997 Bulls, uh, Chicago Bulls season, um, and that put to get like that just put together in my mind like because that 1997 season was michael jordan at you know power like i don't know if powers is the right word but you know what i mean like he was he was he was hercules you know um and you, what you really get from the last dance is how much of a jerk michael jordan actually is oh, and yeah, was. um but at the time his image was still pretty polished and friendly, you know, like it was still, I want to be like Mike and he's, you know, doing McDonald's commercials and stuff like that. So it's interesting. Like Hercules is, you know, like he is super cleaned up, like he's a super cleaned up celebrity and, you know, we don't get any, any hint that there's any, um, you know, backroom act. Actually, he's a jerk type stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, I do, I do, I don't know. It's something something about those two being in parallel, like uh, like all that stuff is happening in 1997 is really interesting to me. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of the Jordan connection. Yeah, well, I mean, the movie makes it very explicit, you know, like he's doing. He sells tennis shoes. Yeah, he sells yeah Air Hercs and um you know there's the there's the billboard with him in basically the Michael Jordan pose, um, and yeah, he's doing you know, product endorsements for a drink, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty explicit that he's, that he's a Michael Jordan type person, which makes sense. I mean, they are in a lot of ways are, they are our real life superheroes, you know, it's who we look to for feats of incredible physical prowess, you know, um, that dazzle and amaze us. Uh 
I mean, the difference being that Hercules does something of real immediate value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. obviously there's a difference. I mean, he's, he's battling monsters, but, um, I mean, don't forget yeah, Space Jam. I was going to say, yeah, Space Jam. I mean, Michael Jordan <laughs> saved us from the aliens. That's another movie I never saw until I was an adult. <laughs> Let me tell you, that one's not so great if you don't see it when you're a kid. Mm. Yeah. That's too bad. I haven't I haven't revisited it since I was a kid. I remember liking it. All of a sudden, kid. Bill Murray shows up. That's a weird movie. <laughs> yeah, I love that Bill Murray's in that movie. <clears throat> Bill Murray has the best line in that movie. Um, that's you know particularly apt for our, our current, um, you know, our modern era of you know all this race relations tension stuff um, because. Uh, Somebody somebody says something about Larry Bird being white, and uh, Bill Murray says Larry Bird's not white; he's clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the best line in this movie has to do with uh, Air Jordans uh, because Hades is standing there complaining about Hercules, and he hears this squeaking, and he says, "What are those?" <laughs> Which might be a good uh, chance to talk about the absolutely incredible performance that James Woods gives as Hades. Yeah. And from what I understand, completely, like, every line is basically ad-libbed. So, yeah, very, very amazing performance. Woods says this is his favorite role he's ever done, and he voices him for anything Disney ever wants him to do. So he's in the video games, the Kingdom Hearts games, he's in all... Any appearance of Hades at the parks is Woods' real voice. Um, he he loves this part and uh, and is eager to reprise it at any moment. Yeah, and how could you not? Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the two. The, these are the two outstanding things in the movie: is uh, James Wood as Hades and uh, the gospel music. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's <laughs> that's the movie right there, you know. So Woods yeah, plays I, him as a kind of used car salesman, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, used car salesman is perfect. Um, yeah, like. Yeah, he sums it up really well when he runs into to Hercules. Like when they finally meet, and he says, "You know, well, I mean, he he runs it's so fast I can't even do it all, you know." But you know, Herc, can I call you Herc? <laughs> I just need a minute. I'm a fast talker, you know. <laughs> just really, yeah. That's that's the character right there. I I can't think of anything I've ever seen James Woods in besides this and the episode of The Simpsons where he uh, works at the Quickie Mart as like. Um, as preparation for a film role. <laughs> but it makes me want to see him in other things. It's really a great performance. And, uh, you know, it's it's a shame. It's a shame we have to say this, but James Woods is a major Trumpist conspiracy theorist on Twitter. Uh, and this kind of makes me forgive him for that. Like it's such a good, it's such a good performance. Maybe he's earned the right to be a wingnut. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know anything about him. I, I'm I'm looking to see if I've even seen him in any other uh, appearances or anything. But yeah, I don't. I've I just know him from this, and I I love him in this. He's he's really really great. One of the great Disney villains, and he's not scary, but he's 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 almost you almost feel bad for him. And part of that is the animation. He looks so hangdog. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> um, but a lot of it is just the 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 really tremendous performance he he gives, and as you said, so much of it was ad libbed that uh, he almost wrote the part himself. Yeah, yeah. I think they were wanting to go a very different direction at first with Hades, and then he came in and was just kind of like, yeah, this you know schmoozing character, and they're like, oh, that that really works and it's you know it's just completely different than than what you'd expect and i think that's part of what makes it work you know it's like how unexpected it is um he's he's as we said like he's he's drawing as much from elements of satan as he is from uh hades the god of the underworld yet he makes him you know particularly charming which i feel like you know in some ways satan must be you know like uh angel of light right yeah, Angel of Light, you know, like there's there's a there's a bit of um you know, there's something attractive about him or he wouldn't be you know, he wouldn't be such a tempter, so Yeah. But you're right, that that scene where <laughs> that scene where pain and panic have the have the Hercules merchandise is really, really hilarious. Yeah. And what just the way he his line readings are are so good that when I say it it's not very funny but when he says it it's hysterical. Yeah, I was never a very good actor. <laughs> Do you like Pain and Panic? Victoria said that the worst part of the movie, and I think that is just demonstrably false. I think she just hates Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh, I'm so I'm kind of surprised because I feel like they're they're kind of on the line where I, I was like not sure if you would hate them or not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, the character I hate will will be much more important than that. I'm afraid. Yeah. So, um, no, I think they're fine. Um, I remember when we did our Sleeping Beauty episode, I was like, oh, this is like a precursor to Pain and Panic. But I think I think it was actually your wife Victoria who corrected me on Twitter on that one because I couldn't quite place who I was who it was you know um i was like i know these characters are like gonna come up again so like i think they're very similar to that like um i think they probably get the worst deal of any of the greek uh pantheon oh yeah (laughs) right (laughs) i mean pain and panic when they show up in uh uh the iliad i think they show up in the iliad i think that's panic at least panic at least does a, a few times um you know that's that's bad news for whichever side panic is, is going against you know everybody's getting slaughtered and here just a just a cute little goofball it's bobcat goldthwait right I, yeah. I can't remember which one's pain which one's panic i guess uh, yeah. pain is is bobcat goldthwait yeah yeah but anyway they are um yeah they're they're funny like they're not um they're not totally dissonant you know, mm-hmm. like it's not the gargoyles, so I think they're totally fine. Like I have no problem with them. <laughs> no, the character I don't like, Megara. Mm. I think that character is deeply annoying. I, it's like, it's it's very nineties. It's like Janine Garofalo is doing an impersonation of Catherine Hepburn. I I I find I find Megara completely unconvincing as a as a character and especially as a romantic lead, and I um the the whole movie suffers for it. So I mm-hmm. I, I think the movie ultimately fails to be a really good movie because of Megara at the center, and it's no shot at Susan Egan. 
It's just the whole thing is is a problem. Mm. How weird that it's Susan Egan, by the way. I I, I don't know who that is. This Bell. Oh really? Yeah, isn't that bizarre? Like it's it, it, it in that sense, it's kind of an incredible performance because the, you you would never hear that voice and think, oh, it's the same woman who does Belle. But I I just I I find her very I find the way she's written annoying. I find the way she's animated annoying, and I find the the vocal performance annoying. Although I understand what she's trying to do, I I just I, I think the real problem with both Megara and Hercules is that their faces are so stylized that they can't show emotion. So there's a couple of moments about midway through the movie where it's really imperative that we feel Megara's pain and you can't mm-hmm. do it because they can't animate her in a way that shows pain because she's so stylized. And then the vocal performance is stylized in a very similar way, right? She, so she doesn't talk like a person. She talks like a Janine Garofalo character. And, um, and so I, I found it very difficult to get inside that character. I don't know how you feel. Yeah. Okay. She's Belle in the, Broadway version, not in the actual, not in the. Is that true? I thought she was Belle in the movie. Unless I mean, no, Wikipedia it is. It's just the musical. You're me. right. Okay. Because I was, I, well, I was I just feel like I, an idiot. No, you're not an idiot. It was, I was just surprised that they used the same character or the same actress, like for two different Disney. Uh, I don't know. I guess Meg's not technically a Disney princess, but. Anyway, I was I wasn't trying to fact check you, Michael. I just um. No, I'm glad you did. I, <laughs> I was wrong. I was, I was I was just shocked at, at the at what you were saying. <laughs> I was like, really? It was the same lady. Paige O'Hara <laughs> plays her in the movie. That's correct. I, I I'm sorry to get that wrong. Yeah. Well, you're not totally wrong because she is Belle in the but just in the Broadway version. Um. Yeah, but uh, anyway, back to Meg in the movie. Yeah, I I don't know. She's I don't ha- I don't have as strong a, a reaction to her as you do. And actually, I'm trying to figure out why this movie is not a great movie. It's good, and right? So like that's, it's it's fine. It's a, it's a good way to spend an hour and a half. But yeah, it is good. And 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 I don't know if that's just. Um, you know, I can't chalk it up to just the fact that like it's a comedy and it doesn't have like a serious message because like Back to the Future, in my opinion, is a great movie. <laughs> you know, one of the best. <laughs> yeah, and so like you can't just be like, well, it's not the right genre to be a great movie. Like it, no, you no, know, no. like yeah. So like, so what is it that's that's in here that's you know the it's that good to great problem? You know, um, what you know what makes the difference, but. So I think that's an interesting argument that it's Meg that is the problem, and and particularly the emotive, like the when when it needs to get serious, it can't because of the because of the stylization. I think that's a really interesting argument. I'm trying to think if I if I 100% agree because I hadn't thought through it, but I'm trying to uh, think of what I would put this on the level of. Like, what other movie is about the same quality as this one? And maybe it's something like. Oh gosh, maybe it's like 101 Dalmatians or maybe even Sword in the Stone. It's probably better than Sword in the Stone, but it, it I picked those two because both of those are very stylized in their animation. Mm-hmm. But then so is Sleeping Beauty and Sleeping Beauty is still my favorite of these movies. Yeah. No, I'm going to strongly disagree with you on 101 Dalmatians because that is I mean that one is near the top of my list. Like I just I love that movie. I think it's perfect. Um but Sword in the Stone, I think, is a good one to compare it to. And I, you were harder on Sword in the Stone than I That's was. True. But I do think that Sword in the Stone and this movie, like, 
are kind of that like yeah they're really fun i could watch them you know or maybe and, great you know, great mouth detective yeah maybe yeah it's a, it's in that tier it's, it's not in on the aristocrat uh, the aristocats level <laughs> yeah but it's also i think fairly self-evidently the weakest of the renaissance pictures we've seen so far now i i remember liking mulan more than it and i i haven't seen tarzan so it may be that one of those is worse than um hercules but it it does feel like a, a pretty big step down from the last three or four and i think in in part it's just because it can't handle the emotional stuff that those movies could handle yeah yeah, I don't know. I would. I think I'd put this one over Rescuers Down Under. Yeah, but I mean that's not really a Disney Renaissance movie. Yeah, I mean it's it's in the right time period for it, but yeah, I mean I guess if you're throwing that one out, then yeah, I mean this is the I this is the thing that we've talked about several times on this show. You know, like Pocahontas, I think gets credit for swinging big and kind of missing. Whereas Hercules isn't swinging big. Yeah. It's just trying to be fun, you know? So, I mean, those are the two, you know, those are, those are the, those are my two bottom of the, the Renaissance era <laughs> pictures, you know, which bottom of the Renaissance era is still higher than a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, what we're about to move into, I think is going to make us long for the days of Hercules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but anyway, back to back to your point here of like what doesn't quite make this movie work. Um, I do think it is something in the emotional, whatever. Like it is, it is hard to see how Hercules falls for Meg for anything other than her appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, and so then when he's like, I mean, even you know he's sacrificing himself for her like because all of her well and i don't know this is i'm talking this out which is always dangerous on the show like i i it's i think it's better when i think when i think it through ahead of time because then i i don't ramble so much but, that's but like so much work yeah well um maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's still disney movies um but yeah like uh so what i'm trying to say is meg goes through this through this big transformation but hercules is completely unaware of it but i don't know if that matters because we're aware of it as the audience you know what i mean but hercules doesn't know that meg has basically switched sides like he doesn't know that she's working for um for hades and he doesn't know like so then her big emotional reveal that actually she does care for him um she jumps in front of the pillar that's going to crush him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess by that point he does know though, right? Like that she's betrayed him. Um, I don't know, but you're right. Like so there's something, there's something about that that just doesn't, doesn't work. doesn't resonate. I How think much? the meaningful emotional relationship, they should have just followed the Rocky plot and made it between Phil and Hercules, and made this made this less about the romantic relationship, and maybe leave Megara out of it altogether. I don't know. Of course, then you get people saying, "How come there's no major female characters in this movie?" Um, maybe make Hera the bad guy, like she should be. 
Um, of course, then you lose Hades. I don't know. But anyway, to, to have to have this be about Phil's last chance to train somebody truly great, you know, mm-hmm. I think that might be a more compelling emotional story than um, Hercules is in love with Megara. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Because, you know, this for me, watching this movie, I f- feel it much more when Hercules lashes out at Phil, knocks him into the pile of... Um, you know, whatever, various gym equipment, <laughs> you know? And, uh, like, you see it in Hercules. You see, like, like that's an actually a really good piece of animation, I think, by, you know, my favorite. Um, I was going uh, to say, it's your guy. Yeah, uh, Andre De Haas, or whatever his name is. Um, he does a great job in that moment, I think, in the face of, like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Mm-hmm. But Phil, like, even though he's immediately sorry, Phil can't forgive him and he you know he leaves in that moment and says i thought you were going to be the all-time champ and not the all-time chump and you're right that isn't as emotionally effective a scene as there is in this movie and so so i think i think you nailed it michael like that should have been the emotional heart of the movie and rather than the 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 romantic one but that's a hard sell for a kid's movie because it's a very it's a very adult um emotion right like like Phil's arc is the arc of a grown up. It's 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 you know I have I have failed over and over and over again and I have this one last chance. That's not something I think children can understand. Yeah. So they have that but there for us. I I would say the argument against what you're saying there though is so I mean because you're 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 focusing on the I've tried and tried and tried and failed, which you're right is a very adult emotion but like i'm trying to like raise this kid and then the kid has to kind of like find his own way like that's the toy story movies that's true <laughs> that's, and that is and something that, a kid would understand i've let my parents that. down yeah so so yeah so i mean it's easy for us to sit here and criticize it i mean you saw me try to rewrite the movie and not be able to but uh the truth is the people who wrote this movie made millions and millions of dollars for doing it. Um, so I, I feel like I'm allowed to criticize them and say what I think would have worked better. And I, I think centering Megara was a mistake. And if, if they were going to do that, they should have made her less 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except it does give us I Won't Say I'm In Love. Which is a so great song. You can you can forgive it for that, right? I can't. And, and, and again, it's not like... She's not annoying the way... Um, Dopey is annoying, or some. Who are the other characters I really hate, Josh? Um, let's see. Who's one of the cutesy? Um, uh, oh man, I'm, I'm blanking I don't like on Flounder. Him. I know that. Yeah, Flounder is a good one because Flounder is. I mean, Flounder. No, Flounder is a good comparison because Flounder is, you know, uh, same same directors, same time period. So yeah, let's go with Flounder. I, I, I mean, she's she's better than that. I just I, I think I think the character again, not an attack on Susan Egan, the character as she is animated, as she is written, as she is voiced, is not capable of carrying the emotional load of this movie. Mm. Bummer. Bummer. <laughs> Danny DeVito, on the other hand, that character is expertly animated, expertly acted, really, really well written, and I I wanted more of him. 
I, I I was surprised to learn that other people tried out for that role. I had assumed it was written for Danny DeVito because who better to play a kind of lecherous, lecherous washed-up satyr than Danny DeVito? It's kind of the part he's been playing his whole career ever since uh, Taxi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, really, like, wouldn't you have thought that character was written for DeVito? DeVito's even a little short guy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really good. Um, yeah, he's... And, yeah, I think he's really funny. He's really... I, I mean, he, he strikes all the, the right things, you know? Like, he's... Uh, because he does know his stuff, you know, like he is able to train Hercules. Mm-hmm. So he's not just like a, you know, a funny goofball that, that doesn't actually know anything. Like he's, he's funny while also, um, you know, really, he really gets Hercules and he really, again, like the carrying the emotional weight, like you're so happy. I, or I am at least, I'm so happy for him at the end mm-hmm. when, you know, that's Phil's boy, <laughs> you know, right. they, they put him up in the stars, you know, like it's super duper cheesy, but like it works. But, you know? but you're a teacher and I was a teacher and, and like what we're asking for is dead poet society, right? <laughs> what we're asking for is a movie that suggests that, that, um, people's most important emotional relationship is with their teachers. So grain of salt listeners. Ouch. That really hurt, Michael. You're right, but it still hurt. <laughs> I mean, most of my important re- emotional relationships were with teachers, but. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I also feel like that's not a movie that gets made very often. And especially it's not a movie that gets made very often for children. Uh, Rocky is that way. And and there are a few other movies. For, for some reason, all I can think of is the movie, um, the Dennis Quaid movie, In Good Company. Did you ever see that? No, I never saw that one. It, it's Dennis Quaid, and his boss ends up being Topher Grace, who's also dating his daughter. But it's it's really a movie about the relationship between um, this older man and this younger man. It's a it's a movie about mentors, and I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that that sort of movie is much less common than the the movie this ended up being, which is about um, Hercules and Megara. Yeah, Megara, as they pronounce it. Yeah. Well, Spider Man Homecoming had a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did, and um, and the even even uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a in a darker way, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Far From Home is like the oh man, the remnants of uh, that. Yeah, the remnants of like, that. What do you, you know, what do you like, do when your when your teacher is no longer there? Yeah, when your teacher's gone. Whereas whereas Homecoming was really about that mentor, uh, child or mentor. What is, what is it? What should I call it? I know I can't call it mentee. I learned that from you. Telemachus. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, Telemachus like, the word mentor comes to us from the Odyssey, and it's a character. So it's not a word like actor. <laughs> the guy's name is Mentor. So the person he mentors is uh, Telemachus, or you could say protege if you want to mix your languages. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, hey, is Spider-Man uh, Homecoming a stealth remake of Disney's Hercules? I'm, I'm thinking of that now. <laughs> I've never thought of that before. The one that I'm gonna gar- that I'm gonna argue is a stealth remake when we get there is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Two is a stealth remake of Lilo and Stitch. Huh. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah. And we've got months and months to think on that, but that's pretty good, Josh. Yeah, I could not believe that nobody said that when it first came out. Well, like you got like, to write that article. I've been thinking about it for years, and then I never wrote it, but it'll come around by the time we get to Lilo and Stitch. So. <laughs> You'll have your opportunity to put it out in the world. That's amazing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but I kind of like this uh, Homecoming is Stealth's remake of Her- Hercules, too, so... Yeah, I'll have to think about that. What Spider-Man wants is so different than what Hercules wants, though. That's true. And that's the other that's the other weird thing with this movie. Um, and I don't want to steal too much from other criticisms and stuff that I saw online, but like her, his his desire to belong is very natural and human, and then it's pretty much dropped, <laughs> and it becomes I want to become a hero so I can be a god. You know. Well, part of that is that that's where he belongs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that is where he belongs. Which I don't. Yeah, I I don't know. There's something when just when you said that, like I just thought of um, there is something really good in that as far as like again going back to Christian themes in this movie that maybe we're not even you know intended to be Christian themes, but like this idea of like this world is not our home, and uh, you know we are. We actually are children of God, <laughs> you know, um, but we don't live like it or know it. Yeah, that, I don't know. That just struck me when you said that. I don't know why. But then he he turns his back on all that in a kind of, in the kind of wings of desire move um, to to be with Megara. Mm-hmm. And I found myself wondering what's going to happen forty years from now when Megara's dead. Is he gonna, <laughs> is he going to try to be immortal again? <laughs> yeah. Like. Dude, do you really know this woman? <laughs> it's true love, Michael. I, I guess. Like I said, I found all that very unconvincing. Yeah. And Victoria and I got in an argument about it. Not an argument, but we, we had a disagreement about this last night because she thinks Magar is a genuinely great character. So, I mean, I, I understand that my, my position here is a minority report, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to think about her. I really don't. Like, I mean, I didn't find her um, annoying the way that you did. I don't know that I agree with Victoria that she's a great character either. Like, she's she's fine. <laughs> you know, like, um, I do, like, like I said, like, I really think uh, Don't Say I'm in Love is great. It's amazing. And her kind of, um, her movement after that song from like you know like she's dropped the cynicism and realize like like Hercules in that sense has you know saved her in the sense of like she's just been this completely embittered understandably embittered and cynical person um and then she realizes that actually there's 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 still genuineness in the world and there's still goodness in the world, you know? And then, so then she's, she's willing to stand up to Hades at that point, even though she actually has no ground to stand on, which he reminds her of, you know, like, uh, actually we have a deal and you're my slave, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you can't just be like, uh, no, go find another girl. Like you can't do that. You're my minion, you know? Um, but she does. And so like, I think, I think that's major points in her book. Yeah. Um, 
So, what were Victoria's arguments? I think she just thinks she's cool. I think the, the description I gave of Janine Garofalo uh, playing <laughs> Catherine Hepburn, I think she sees that as a positive and not a negative. <laughs> so, you know, your mileage may vary. There you go. Hmm. Well, the other thing I wanted to mention in this movie is, like, the backgrounds and the the way that, like, um, just different things are designed. I really liked. I really enjoyed. And I don't feel like I've I could I don't feel like I've said that in a while. Maybe I have, but I really liked how this movie looked. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> not, very striking. Yeah. Not the I mean the characters are are interesting in the way that they're designed to look kind of like the, you know, the Grecian paintings and stuff. But like the backgrounds I like um just the way the trees looked and the way um you know there's there's the scene where um meg is with hercules and you know the trees look a certain way and then she walks and uh you know enters like the darkness again i guess and all the trees shift very you know like it's very stark you know like the way that they change um really i don't know there's really cool and then i like the way olympus looks i like the way uh the underworld looks i really like the way the underworld looks actually like Mm -hmm. i think just super cool um but then just our world um has a very um, it struck me almost as like Mary Blairish, which is a name we haven't mentioned on the show in a while. But you know, like she had this kind of, um, you know, uh, like American modern thing going that you know uh, that was kind of uh, like Grant Wood, Stone City, uh-huh. Iowa. You know that painting. Uh-huh. You know, Mary Blair is kind of like that as well, like kind of in that same vein. And so I don't know which one maybe they were drawing on, or maybe neither. But like. Um, our world looks very much like it could be um, either Stone City, Iowa, or like out of like the Johnny Appleseed. Uh huh. Absolutely. Um, I I had not made that I connection thought, at all. Yeah. Stone so. City, man. I haven't thought about that painting in years. That's in uh, that's at the Jocelyn, isn't it, in Omaha? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where they keep it. It's kind of amazing. I I had never made that connection at all. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about the like about both those like about Mary Blair's work and about that painting in particular that and I mean they're both working in like the 30s, you know. That I just I don't know. I don't know if they were aware of each other or if it was just like you know the way that that, that things were at that time. But um, who's yeah, the I, other I feel guy? Like, who's the guy who did History of Country Music? I'm looking that up. Thomas Benton. The Sources yeah. of Country Music is the name of the, the painting I'm thinking of. It, it has a, a kind of similar vibe. That's from the 70s. Yeah, that's later. Um, but yeah, I, I googled around a little bit to try and see. Like, I couldn't even figure out who really was responsible for that look in Hercules, and I and definitely didn't know if they were if they were trying to re- reference um, <laughs> Mary Blair or Grant Wood or anybody else, you know, like because I, I couldn't find anything. So, if anybody has any any insight on that, I would love to hear it. But well, I, I think certainly like Mary Blair is the great stylizer in mid-century Disney stuff, right? Her characters don't look natural and that's what's so appealing about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why she did so many backgrounds as opposed to character designs. 
Um, so so I, I do think the stylization here owes something to her, although I hadn't made that connection at all. That might be a reason Victoria loves it so much. Yeah, and I don't yeah, and it's it's only in a, in a few places, you know, like it's just, it just pops up in a couple of places that or at least the way that I noticed it. But like for people who are like trying to figure out what we're talking about and want to go back and look, there's um the scene I mentioned with the with the trees, um like that's right at the end like when when Hercules and Meg first met each other. And then the other scene is uh near the beginning when uh they're they're coming into uh or I think it, it, I think it's in two places. I think it's when they're coming into town, um, you know, to sell their hay or whatever they're doing at the beginning. Uh, you kind of see like a, a, a nice landscape. And then also when he's setting out to, on his journey, when Hercules is setting out on his journey to do, um, you know, go the distance, uh, or find, find where I belong, I guess is what he's singing at that point. I feel like the, you know, those moments are where I most picked up on that kind of stylized uh landscapes yeah good catch it helps that i've seen the movie more than twice i can you, True. you know you can you can look for those things when you've seen it multiple times well and we're getting on these movies where i haven't seen them or i haven't seen them in a long time and i really need to watch them two or three times probably yeah well and i think something i mean we're ending i mean we're not quite there yet thankfully but we're getting near the point where we're going to be at the end of the hand-drawn animation stuff period uh-huh. and and i just think i mean i i mean there are some beautiful and striking background images in uh in computer animated movies but it's different it's the, it's you know the same, like I agree. it's 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 just not it, you know it's not it's not done by a person in the same way, you know? <laughs> and so I don't, I don't know how to describe that. Cause I, I understand that there are artists and that that's the medium that they're working in. Um, and, and nothing against them. Like, like I said, like, I mean, there, there's some absolutely beautiful and stunning, stunning work that's done there, but it's just not the same as these, as these gorgeous background paintings that we get right now. Speaking of computer animation, we should probably mention the Hydra. <laughs> I think it's a really well done sequence. Yeah, <laughs> but it is clearly computer animated. Yeah, it's it, it just to me it was a little. Uh, yeah, I, it's uh, it's definitely thrilling. It's exciting, and it's it's a good it's a good sequence in that way. But the yeah the animation just took me out of it a little bit. That's fair. I mean, it yeah. is it, it is different than the rest of the movie, to be sure. Yeah, they hadn't quite figured out how to blend those things as well yet. Or I guess they've been working on it for. I mean, we've been talking about this for the entire Renaissance, how these things blend together, you know. And there's other places where you know it's it's less obvious that they're using computer animation, but that one really stuck out to me. Well, anything, all right. anything left to say about Hercules? I don't think so. I think we covered pretty much all of it. I mean, I guess we didn't mention uh, uh, what's his name, the horse. Oh, Pegasus. Pegasus. I like Pegasus yeah. a lot. Yeah, Pegasus was another one that I wasn't sure if you were gonna like or not. You can never <laughs> tell with me. I, I sometimes I really like the cutesy characters, and sometimes I really hate them. I thought <laughs> I thought Pegasus was really cool. I thought his the, his facial animations were very well done. Yeah. 
I like when Pegasus uh, shows up as a helicopter. (laughs) 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 I actually really like how they decided to animate that because it's like one, it's like a really great gag, right? Like uh, with uh, uh, Phil with the lamp and and the you know the the helicopter blades, but like they they just really went the extra mile on that one with him having his wings like all kind of you know, tilted way up and just the, the ends flapping like helicopter. It's really great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, really great. I, I thought almost all of his animation was terrific. He's a horse yeah. with the brain of a bird. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great line from Zeus. <laughs> great line. Oh yeah. We got to talk about Paul Schaefer too. Uh, do we? No. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Schaefer plays Paul Schaefer as Hermes. It's fine. It, it dates the movie. I, I, I'm not sure anybody under the age of 30 has any idea who Paul Schaefer is. Yeah. And it may not matter. I mean, he may become timeless in that way. That's true, know? yeah. Like, somebody's going to run across a clip of uh, the David Letterman show and say, hey, that guy looks like Hermes. <laughs> the way we do sometimes when we watch old movies and see stuff we saw from Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first time I saw a video of Sinatra, I thought, oh, he's just like the singing sword from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's, I, I, yeah, that, that backwards sort of stuff is really funny to me. I mean, that's just, like, um, I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's just fun, you know, like, it's like climbing your, uh, family tree is is how is how i saw one person describe it you know like you you find out you know the artists that you like who they were inspired by and you know and then you go back you listen to them and you're like oh this is really good you know or or you know whatever you know same thing with you know any any sort of form you know and then like with these yeah pop culture references i guess you know like you see what you go back and you see what they were referencing and it's it's all it's always very interesting and it's it's always like such a such a funny insight when you didn't you didn't realize it was a reference until until you accidentally come upon you know a, an earlier source material type thing you're like oh I get it that's what they were referencing so yeah it's it's interesting that dialectic of timelessness and like time boundedness mm-hmm. for a while it becomes very time bound and then. As people age out of getting the reference at all, it becomes more timeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I mean, that that was the discussion I think that we had with Aladdin. You know, like does this stuff still work as the as the references go away? And I think uh, you and Timothy decided that it did. So, well, anyway, yep, that's about all I had to say. I think. Um. Our press liaison is Chris and Philippic, and we're on the old interwebs at beforetheywere.live and also christianhumanist.org. And you can help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com, or you can find Michael on Twitter at quellbummer. And we want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time for us with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Josh Altman Schiffer. Thanks for everything. It's been a real slice. <laughs>